Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. So I wanted to uh, begin our message this morning, uh, our teaching time, with a quote from one of my favorite authors. Uh, I've always loved C.S. Lewis. Uh, how many of you guys have read C.S. Lewis? Chronicles of Narnia? Good. Good for you. Awesome. Go ahead to the next slide, Thomas. So this is actually from an uh, essay that he wrote called Christianity and Culture. Super insightful guy. I mean, C.S. Lewis, not only just a deep theologian, but an insightful guy. He says this, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Uh, We have this tendency. So we talk about spiritual warfare sometimes. And there's a tendency that I've noticed, uh, you know, and it's, I suppose it's, it's normal. We kind of, we personalize that. Uh, so what I mean by that is you might say, well, I'm experiencing spiritual warfare right now, or I'm, I'm feeling the attack of the enemy or something of that nature. And usually that happens if you're going through a difficult time, financial crisis, relational things are happening, whatever, uh, sickness or disease in your family, so, you know, something of that nature. And you go, well, there's spiritual warfare happening. We might think of that in an even more oppressive sort of situation uh, you know, if, if, if someone is going through it, goes through a deliverance and has, you know, demons cast out of them or something, that's a, a like a more, uh, dynamic sort of spiritual warfare kind of situation. Uh, and, and certainly I, I don't want to minimize anything that anybody goes through. All of those things do have some level of spiritual warfare involved in them. But what I want to say is that it's also, so much more than that. Spiritual warfare encompasses how we live every moment of every day. It's how we interact with other people in any interaction that we have. And beyond that, it's actually even how we interact with creation itself. And I think, I believe, I hope, our message today will, will uh, illustrate that for us. So uh, I want to I go ahead and read our text this morning and then the title and then we'll, we'll pray because I'll need help. Um, uh, we are, we're in a study in the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 8. We've been in Luke for about, I don't know, six months. Probably be in Luke for the next two years. But go, oh, look at that. It's already there. Uh, but this is Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 22. Uh, one day... Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Just time out parenthetically here. Luke is writing this as an unbiased observer. So he's, he's just 
reporting the facts, okay? He, he is not emotionally necessarily connected to this situation. And when he says they were in great danger, that's sort of like a news report. He, Luke's assessment is that they really were actually in great danger. So, okay, back in. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked the disciples. I would not want to be the disciples at that exact moment in time, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. But uh, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? Who was that masked man? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Who was that masked man? I just realized that some of my cultural references are dated. I, I get that's what happens when you get old. You're just not up on the latest and the greatest. Ask Tucker. I'll ask Tucker. Okay, go to the next slide. So our title this morning is actually, let us go over to the other side. And as I said, I might need help today. Uh, and I say that just because I want to, I, I feel like our message today is theological in nature and potentially will ruffle feathers. So be prepared to be ruffled. Um, Lord, uh, just uh, help me to ruffle feathers in the most loving and kind way. Amen. All right. So for starters, God is love. That is, uh, that is biblical. That is straight out of the Bible. God is love. Sometimes we read the Bible. We might read a verse or passage. And we go, ah, what does that mean? I'm not sure. And so it requires some study. You got to dig in a little bit, right? You get your commentaries out and if you're like me, you even use, you use a Greek interlinear and you look up the meaning of the words. That's a lot of fun, but you dig in and dig in and, and really research what is this scripture trying to say to me right now. With this particular verse, that's not necessary. God is love. It's pretty straightforward. There's not a lot of study needed there. Uh, you could research those Greek words all day long. You're going to find out at the end of the day what that means is God is love. That's what that means. Um, we have a little saying we like around here. It's one of our very favorite little sayings. God is good. When is God good? All the time. God is good all the time. So, so let me ask you this question. If God is love and if God is good all the time, why doesn't the world that we live in reflect that? Why is there so much violence, so much tragedy, and so, so much pain in the world? So, so if we theologize that a little bit, on one level, we're going to say that the, the answer is that because of free will, because God has given us free will. And so within that, people don't always live according to the precepts and the principles God has given. If they did, everything would be fine, but they don't. Uh, and so things, things get messy. They get a little messed up sometimes. <coughs> and there certainly is truth in that. God is a gentleman and he does not force himself upon us in any way. And so consequently, there are people that live outside of the parameters of kind of God's ordinances and, and uh, yeah, stuff happens. But that doesn't answer the question completely because if you think about things like earthquakes, tsunamis, hurricanes, where, where is God when those things happen? Uh, famines, droughts, uh, you, you, so what about 844 million people, one out of nine people on the earth today that don't have access to clean water? 
4,000 children die every day. 4,000 children die every single day from waterborne disease because they preventable diseases that are caused by not having access to clean water. I just want you to think about that for a second. 4,000 children die every day because they don't have access to clean water. So the question is, where is God in the middle of that? What about disease itself? So AIDS, Ebola, malaria, dengue fever, Lyme disease, bird flu, swine flu, mad cow. There's a whole there's a zoological litany of diseases out there. Uh, and the reality is that, you know, I travel a little bit and I always read the travel warnings when I go someplace. And so dengue fever, when I go to Central America, dengue fever is always on the list. You could get that. Malaria is always on the list. You could get that. Um, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I, when I see people walking around the airports and our airplanes now wearing surgical masks. That's becoming more and more common. And a few years ago, when I first noticed that, uh, true confessions here this morning, I thought, well, what a wacko. And now I'm kind of going, maybe I'm the wacko because I don't have one of those on. Um, Lewis is right. Every single square inch of creation, every single moment is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. There is this cosmic, eternal, spiritual battle happening all the time. It's all around us. And creation itself is permeated by spiritual warfare. I want you to think about this for just a moment. Jesus rebuked the storm. Okay, uh, he, the re, rebuked is the same word when he rebukes a demon or he rebukes a disease those are things that are outside the parameters of God's will. And Jesus rebuked the storm. My point is this. When we say we live in a fallen world, what does that mean? It means this. We really do live in a fallen world. The world itself is under the weight of the brokenness of sin in, in life today. So... <laughs> What does that mean to you and me right now? Well, it means a lot of things. So here's what we're going to do. <laughs> uh, I'm going to try to, I'm going to give you some theological truth this morning. So put your theology caps on uh, today. We're going to think a little bit. And then I'm going to come back around at the end and I'm going to try to make some application of this that I think really does have impact on how we live our lives every day. First point is this. God's ideal creation, as God created the world, pre-fall. So Genesis 1, there's a, there's a window. There's a little window of time when things were the way that God intended them to be. And then it went away, and it's never been that way since. So when we look at that window, in, before the fall, in ideal creation, the way God planned things to be, the world was completely and totally nonviolent. There was no nonviolence. Go to Genesis chapter 1. God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. God gave us plants for food. To all the beasts of the earth and the birds in the sky, the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. God gave 
everything plants for food, and it was so. And in that moment, that's the way it was. God saw all that he made, and what was it? No, it was very good. It was very good. God said it was very good, and there was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. So I, I uh, so just for starters today, I said I would ruffle feathers. Um, we were created to be vegetarians. And look, that's not me. I love bacon, okay? I'm just saying. That's the B-I-B-L-E. In God's ideal creation, the way that he intended it to be, no living being would give up its life to be food for any other living being. That's the way God designed things to be. And furthermore, when he returns at the end of it all, when things go back to that state again, that's the way it'll be again. Okay? I want to look at Isaiah for a second. The wolf will live with the lamb. Okay, let me just say this. We read Old Testament prophecy. You know, we say it's poetry, whatever. It is. It's poetic. But let me tell you, Isaiah... We, 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 we call it a download here. Isaiah is getting a download from God. God is speaking into Isaiah's life. He's giving Isaiah a vision of the way things will one day be. This, Isaiah is seeing the fulfillment of creation as it will be. This isn't just uh, a nice image. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Not the bear will eat the cow. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Go one more. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child put his hand in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy. My grandsons always want me to catch a snake for them. On all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. All the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. So it's important for us to recognize that so in, in the fall of man, we talk about the curse. The curse came on Adam and Eve, but really the, the reality is this, that creation, all of nature, the whole world, everything, the earth itself is cursed. Go to Genesis. Cursed is what? The ground. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. I, we have, so I don't know what's going on in my house. We have lawn, and then we have garden, and we have the whole the property. And blackberries are growing up in the middle everywhere. They just come up randomly. I, they're evil. They're destructive. They're taking over my lawn. Thorns and thistles. I don't know if this is directly related to me, but I'm just sharing. And you will eat the plants of the field. So the point is this, that there is a lot of things happening in the world. Hostility. Um, hostility between snakes and people, except my grandsons. Pain in childbirth, thorns and thistles, blackberries growing through my, my grass, all kinds of bad things are happening, and they're not supposed to happen. They're not supposed to happen. There's a lot of things that happen in the world today that are not supposed to happen, and here's the thing. It all seems so normal to us. We have allowed... We've allowed the world around us to color the way we see things, and we've grown accustomed to the fallen nature of the world that we live in, and it's tragic. It's tragic. 
And when things happen like have happened over the last few weeks, there's mass shootings take place. And look, I know that we're all sad and we're, we, we see these things and we maybe pray. But at the end of the day, we go on about our business because it's somewhat normal. We've grown accustomed to things that are not supposed to be. And I'll, I'll tell you, I was think, I've been praying and thinking about this a lot this week. Have, have any, anybody ever read a book by Malcolm Gladwell called The Tipping Point? It's a business book, but Gladwell says things happen. There's an arc of things that happen, and then there's a tipping point at which, you know, it, it gets kind of pushed over the edge. And he's talking about marketing and things like that. But the truth is in life that happens. There's things that happen and then there's a tipping point. And, and for me, I look back over my life, the last 10, 12, 15, 20 years or so, the tipping point to me was Sandy Hook. Because when Sandy Hook happened, um, we allowed the murder of innocent children to become just part of the way it is. And after that, there's nowhere to go. It can't get any worse than that. And so now, almost anything else that happens just seems like, well, that's just the way it is. And we've, we've really, in a sense, grown numb to the fallen nature of the world that we live in. The Bible says it's corrupted. All of creation is corrupted. And that that's not the way it's supposed to be. Romans chapter 8. Oh, man, I got to get through this today. Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. We read that text. I don't know how many times I've read Romans 8, creation groans. What does that mean? Okay, here's the thing. I did look this one up. In the Greek, it literally says, creation groans together. And the idea is this, that there is an experienced common calamity, that something bad has happened collectively. And so I would equate that. So when we see about a shooting that takes place, it affects us, but we realize that in the community that it happened, there's a different level of effect, and that in that community... The people are gathered together and they're going to have prayer vigils and there's going to be uh, a collective mourning, a collective groaning, a collective sense of loss. And so that's what this is saying. All of creation together is mourning and groaning and broken over the fallenness of nature, over the, the brokenness of the world. The, the earth itself, the cosmos, everything is under a curse and, and creation groans at the loss of things not being the way that God intended them to be. That's what that verse says. Listen, Jesus rebuked the storm. Do you get it? The storm was not in God's plan. Hebrews says, Satan holds the power of death. And John tells us Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. 
That cosmic battle is going on all the time and Satan will do anything he can to try to kill us and Jesus will do everything he can to set us free. The curse is this. When we move away from God, he lifts his hand of protection off of us. In the New Testament, Jesus says, God says, come, walk with me. Stay, stay as close to me as you can and I'll protect you. Judgment is simply when we walk away, we distance ourselves from him and that protection becomes limited and outside forces come in. And in many ways, it's the natural consequence of just distancing, distancing ourselves from God. It's clearer in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we see it because the people of God were dealt with collectively. So we have Israel as the people of God, and we see Assyria or Babylon or these other nations attack them. And so it's, it's a clearer picture. In the New Testament, it's much more subtle than that because it's, it's not collective, it's individual. Um, it comes in many different forms. And it can be sickness or disease. Look, think about how many diseases there are in the world today that really, they have no understandable, no, no rational cause. Okay, and by that I mean this. So look, if you smoke two packs of cigarettes a day for 40 years, it's very probable that that's going to have an impact on your health. There's a cause and effect to that. But if you take something like leukemia, there's nothing that you've done to bring that on. Okay, leukemia is, is a genetic distortion uh, inside your body that no one did anything to bring about. It happens in small children. Nothing causes that. There's no known reason for that. Disease, it's rooted in the fallenness of the world that we live in. All disease is either sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly, but it's the result of the brokenness of the world. It's not part of God's original plan. Look, I hear stuff. People say, somebody gets sick, oh, it's the will of God, or it's God's will, it's God's mysterious will, God works in mysterious ways. No, 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 no. God does not do that. God does not want people to be sick. Does that mean that God cannot extract good from that? No, it doesn't mean that, because God can, because he's God and he's good all the time. But that's not his will. It's never God's will. And don't ever let anybody tell you that's God's will. Okay? That's from me to you. If they do, you tell them to come and talk to me. Um, Here's the reality. All of creation needs saving. Okay? Uh, I I will now dispel (laughs) one of the, the falsehoods and rumors of 20th century Christianity. I've accepted Jesus into my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. Jesus is not your personal Lord and Savior. Jesus is the Lord and Savior of all of creation. You included. You're part of the plan. But it's so much bigger. It's so much bigger. Go to the next slide, Colossians. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Things on earth, things in heaven, by making peace through his bloodshed on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he did that to reconcile everything under heaven and in heaven and all of creation to God. It's all going to be redeemed. All of creation is going to be redeemed. Look, at the end of the day, the water will be clean and no kids will die. That's the truth. There will be no tsunamis. There will be no earthquakes. There will be no 
no famine, no disease. Everything will be new. Everything will be whole. Everything will be right. Everything will be as God intended it to be. See, again, Jesus rebuked the storm. He rebuked the storm. Get behind me, Satan. Come out and be still are all the same thing. They're, they're all Jesus speaking life into the brokenness of the created order. So, you can quote me on this. Rebuking the storm is an eschatological prophetic sign of things to come. At the end of the day, that's the way it'll be. Okay, so I want you to get into this a little bit with me. Remember that the guys in the boat, at least the three or four of them were fishermen, right? They made their living on the lake. They were on the lake in the boat all the time. The storm came up. Wind, waves, water's coming into the boat. I've been in a boat in a storm before. They were scared. These guys were fishermen. They knew the difference between a little storm and a big storm. And they were afraid. And I'll tell you, they had every right to be afraid, except one. Jesus had said, let's go to the other side of the lake. He didn't say, let's die in the freaking storm. He said, let's go to the other side of the lake. That's, that's what he had told them. All right. Here's the application. Number one, God is not in natural disasters. Hurricanes, tsunamis, earthquakes are not God's judgment. 2005, Hurricane Katrina landed in New Orleans, Louisiana. An unknown number of people were killed, roughly 1,500. It's somewhere between 12 and 1,800. No one really knows because the devastation was so bad. They were never actually all accounted for. And Christian commentators went on the air and said, this is God's judgment on New Orleans. And I want to tell you, that's just not so. And I want to tell you this, whether you like it or not, when earthquakes and those things happen in predominantly Muslim countries, that is not God's judgment there either. God does not want those people to die. He wants them to get saved. All right? So I don't want you to buy into that. Those things are the result of living in a fallen world. That's the reality. Number two, We, as followers of Christ, this is a hard thing. We're not going to like this. But we need to live with a warfare mindset all the time. As far as spiritual warfare is concerned, we can never go on vacay. When I go on vacation, my uh, appointed destination is Hawaii. And when I go to Hawaii, before I go... I go a little Amazon crazy and I order about a half a dozen books and all the books I order are novels or historical or something that has nothing to do with theology, the Bible, or anything that I have to think about. And what I intend to do over the next 10 days is lay on a lounge chair in the sun near a pool and the ocean and read those books with an umbrella drink by my side. 
As far as spiritual warfare is concerned, we can't afford to do that. The reality is this, that how we spend our time, our energy, our money, how we interact with people, how we interact with the world around us, every decision we make every day either advances the kingdom of God or it doesn't. Last thing, we are are doing spiritual warfare whenever we fight evil in any form. So there are, I have friends that are part of churches that have what they call in their building the war room. And the war room is really the intercessory prayer room, but they call it the war room because that's where they do war. And in every war room I've ever been in, there's a big map of the world on the wall and people go there and they pray and that's where they do spiritual warfare. Now, let me tell you, that is spiritual warfare, but that is not all there is to spiritual warfare, okay? Every time somebody goes out and digs a well or provides a water filter so that people can get clean water, they're doing spiritual warfare. Every Thursday afternoon, when we feed people who need food in the garage back here, we're doing spiritual warfare, okay? Um, I have friends who take medical teams into Belize and and they provide uh, kind of fundamental medical care for impoverished people that can't afford medicine. That is doing spiritual warfare. And I'm going to say this, caring for our environment is spiritual warfare, okay? It's not just some tree-hugging, left-wing liberal mania, all right? It's doing kingdom business. That's what it is. Here's the thing. We were given a mandate by God to care for creation, and we can either do a good job or a bad job, but at the end of the day, God's the boss, and you're going to answer to him. Sorry. That's what it is. Jesus, uh, you guys can come back up. Jesus rebuked demons, he rebuked diseases, and he rebuked a storm. They, they are all results of living in the brokenness of a fallen world. So, last thing is this. And I, I think that's sort of a generalized application for us as followers of Christ. Specific application is this. And, and this came up this week. I was chatting with some friends. I had been thinking about the message on Sunday, and they were going through a tough time. And I said to them, I think what Jesus would say to you right now is let's go to the other side of the lake. And the application is this, that there's going to be storms in life. All right? Uh, that's a certainty. Okay? If you're in a storm right now, uh, we'll pray for you today. If you're not, you will be. Um, Look, (laughs) today's going to be truth and honesty day. Anybody ever tells you, just come to Jesus and follow Christ and all your problems go away and life will be glorious and grand all the time, they're either a liar or they're incredibly naive. That's just not the way it works. There are going to be storms in life. I guarantee you that. Uh, I guarantee you that there are going to be storms in life. Scripture teaches, the Bible teaches us that life is hard. That's what it teaches us. Uh, there are storms, and they are real. But, but, here's the thing, and here's the end of it all. You guys can stand. Jesus also says, the word of God is also true, and Jesus says, let's go to the other side. And so, here's the thing. 
If you're in the middle of a storm today, trust God. He's going to carry you through it. And I believe that there are relational storms. I believe that there are diseases and sicknesses in some of our lives and our family members that are, that are those same kinds of storms. I believe that there are financial crises. I believe that there are any number of different ways in which the brokenness of life can descend upon us and cause the wind and the waves to swamp the boat. But I believe the word of God to us today is, let's go to the other side. Uh, you're going to make it through this storm. He's going to be with you through it. That's the promise. I wish I could tell you you don't have to go through it, but I can't. But what I can tell you is that he will be with you in the midst of it. So I'm going to invite our prayer team to make your way over to both sides of the room. We have prayer on both sides of the room. And if you're here this morning and you're going through a storm of life, um, I would encourage you as we sing this last song to get with one of these folks or two of these folks and let them pray with you. And I want to say this too. Don't minimize the, uh, the storm you're going through. Sometimes I, I, this, I, I get it. We're all people. And there's this thing, well, I, what I, you know, my thing is not that bad. Other people have worse things. Well, let me tell you what. I don't care what you're going through. Somebody's always got something worse. Well, that doesn't mean we can't pray for you, okay? God's a big God. He's got lots. He, he, he. So if you're going through a storm today, even if it's a little bitty storm, uh, make your way over and let somebody pray with you this morning, okay? Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.